Welcome to the next episode of the Saddle Podcast, the sitcom archive deep dive overdrive, where we're taking a balls deep dive into the 70s sitcom The Good Life. We're up to series two, episode five, which is, do you know, Ben? Uh, yeah, it is um, Mutiny. Mutiny, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's where we are. On rewatching, on rewatching, I found that this, I think, is my favourite episode so far of the ones that we've watched. So far or of the entire run? Um, I don't know, because having watched all the series in the past and now revisiting, I'm finding that there's different things by rewatching that I'm that I'm enjoying. But this one in particular had me howling out loud, which was wonderful. Yeah, it was a good one. It was, it was. That was... Without even the prompting of audience members giving it, oi, oi. <laughs> um, just going back to last week's episode, um, there was a couple of things that I had to um, bring to your attention this week. Um, one that's quite useful, one that I didn't really find much about, um, and they were to do with being bound over after Tom had been arrested for shooting the leak thief in the ass. Um, and I found out that being bound over is is there to prevent certain behaviours from reoccurring. Um, it's not a conviction, and they usually use it for low-level public order issues. Okay, so he won't have so a criminal so, record. No, it was just to stop you from doing it again. And I think if he'd have done it again, it would have just all started again. The process would have started again, and he'd have gone to prison again if he'd not agreed to be bound over. I wanted to find out what the actual binding over of whether it was linked to something in the past of I don't know being having your legs tied together or your arms tied together or something but I couldn't find anything a lot of these things have literal meanings going back yeah don't they that's what I was looking for Um, and the other thing that I went back to inspect was the price of leaks in Harrods in approximately 1976 um, which I couldn't find these things don't exist on um, on Google like price lists and receipts from Harrods from 1976 unfortunately Um, although um, 1976 was a record breaking year for hot weather which could have affected the harvests and therefore could have pushed the prices up, perhaps. So they could have been really expensive leaks that she'd that she'd managed to source from Harrods. That explains why that uh, cretin was pinching them then, doesn't it? We're pinching them, yeah. If they were like ultra expensive, not only because of the weather, but for Margot, they would have been like through the roof. Yeah, yeah, true. And uh, do you know what? Going back even further than last week's episode, uh-huh. I've had a piece. I've had a piece of information from a listener to tell me that oh. Chez Toi. Yes. Do you remember Chez Toi? Margot I do said, remember Chez Toi. Yeah. Is there trouble at Chez Toi? That means your place. Ah. So probably everyone Chez- who listened knew that apart from us because we speak pidgin French. Is that your home? Chez yeah, Toi? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, your home. How's you? Yeah. Ah, okay. Thanks, guys. So one thing um, that we did last week was we challenged mm-hmm. each other off air or, um, well, we're not on air, are we? Off pod. Um, off to, pod. To, I like that. Yeah, off pod. We challenged each other to write a limerick about the good life, either the characters or past episodes. Um, have you managed to do that, Al, or was it just me? <laughs> no, I've, do, I've done two. I managed to do two. I was. I must have had a, a, an inspired moment. Um, so, yeah. Go on, go on, Ben, you kick us off then. Do you want me to do mine? Well, actually, yeah, I'd, 
Mine's three verses, so I suppose I was got carried oh. away as well. So, mine is about a past episode. Uh, I'm getting all nervous now. Oh, nervous, see, I put you on the spot, aren't I? Sorry. Right, here we go. I'll put on my best reading voice. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> a monstrous lady named Margot insisted on a swine embargo. She banned the goods pigs, drove Tom to his cigs, and packed off the poor little cargo. Could the pigs be saved from their fate? To end up on somebody's plate? While Margot repented, the pig's doom was cemented. Alas, Tom had arrived just too late. Poor Perky was sent to his death. Condemned to take his last breath. Turned into sliced bacon, Tom brought home a facon and pretended that he'd never left. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Three Thank verses you. to a limerick as well. Well done. Well yeah, done. Yeah, I was pushing it a bit. And in fact, there was more than one pig, but it didn't fit in the... <laughs> so he ended up just being Perky who got name checked. Never mind. Sorry, sorry about that, Porky. Oh, what's his name? Pinky. Perky. Poor Porky. I'm killing off bloody cartoon pigs now. Oh, I love it. What I was yours it. then? Have you got one? Well, mine. You got two. Um, yes, my my two. Um, I have one based on one of the characters from last week, um, the Leak Thief. And one about Sir as well, which got me a bit in a, in a tangle, the Sir one, because of my accent. And I had to keep reading it out loud to myself because there's certain words that I've, I've rhymed, which probably don't, <laughs> don't normally rhyme, but you'll, you, you'll, you'll get the gist. I might have okay. to just adjust things as I, as I read it out loud. Um, so the, the one about the leak thief was, there once was a leak thief named Harry who took all the veg he could carry. He decided to run, but got shot in the bum, and Tom was as happy as Larry. Very good. Nice and succinct, unlike mine. And this this next one is about Andy, the boss. There once was a work boss called Sir, whose temper was really unfair. (laughs) He made Jerry behave like he was a slave, and for Sir, Tom could really not care. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, very Boltonian. I kept having to read it though to sort of sense check it, but um, yeah, I think you get the gist. Yeah, I think. I don't beat yourself up too much. No, I won't. It's okay. It was bloody good that some of the um, greatest pop songs in history have got very questionable rhymes. I was talking about this the yeah. other day. Um, I'm a big Queen fan, and there's a song Innuendo. Do you know that one? You hum it. Uh, no, it's a it's not a hummable song, really. <laughs> but there's a line in it that Freddie Mercury sings, which is uh, all through our sorrow, all through our splendour. Don't take offence at our innuendo. Right, okay, just to force in that, force in a rhyme. Bit bit weak, isn't it? Oh well, that's so, all right though. I'm up there with Freddie Mercury. That's okay. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. Have you got a four octave range when you're delivering limericks? No, I need to stuff some more teeth in my mouth. Um, yeah. But I do have some trousers that look like Eddie, like Eddie Mercury. No, Freddie Mercury. Eddie Mercury. Is that his, <laughs> his less pants. successful brother? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's who I'm going to be from now on. Freddie Mercury's good, less um, successful brother. Could be a nom less de plume for you. Pants. Mm. <laughs> so if you've got any limericks of your own that you want to share with us, which um, beat the pants off us, send them to us on Gmail. Podcast at gmail.com or look us up on social or whatever or just don't because you'll never beat ours no you're not Ed- <laughs> you're not Eddie Mercury no 
So let's head off to Series 2, Episode 5, Mutiny, and see what we can find. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. So the epi- this episode takes us straight onto the golf course with Sir and Jerry and Tom. Um, and, I th- oh, I don't know about you, Ben, but I found Jerry is such an arse licker and it's so evident in this episode at the start. At the start and the end, really, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it's cringy, isn't it? It's, it it's, this, this, this opening bit is so cringy. Um, he, he literally can't get far enough up his ass, And even Tom calls him out and calls him a crawler. Um, yeah. Because Jerry's there kicking golf balls into holes and knocking balls out of the rough. Um, but I really enjoyed the fact that Tom just does not give a monkey's about any of this. He's, he's not there anymore to... Um, massage Sir's ego and he's busy getting chestnuts and toadstools and damsons and getting all sorts of stuff that he can take back home as part of his his, his haul, his self-sufficiency yeah. haul. He's totally trying Sir's patience with his um, extracurricular activities. Sir just wants to play golf and Jerry yes. is just wants to suck up to Sir, whereas Tom's off foraging for magic mushies, isn't he? And yes, yes, yeah, dangerous. Probably hoping he can get something to wean him off the ciggies. <laughs> and he's even brought a shotgun to get I know. To get some rabbits. So much for being bound over. Oh, straight there with a gun again. Yeah, exactly. I hope the judge isn't a member of this bloody golf club. I know. Or it's 28 days after the initial um, initial issue, perhaps. Maybe. But yeah, he's there. He's there with his gun. Um, and... At the at the end of this scene, Sir mentions sort of like drops into conversation with with Jerry that they're gonna have to look after some businessmen from Amsterdam. Oh shit! Um, that are coming oh, over, no. and he's expecting he's Not expecting Amsterdam again. <laughs> he's expecting them to put the, to put this guy up in their house, which seems to be. Um, Obviously, it's not something that we've seen yet, but this seems to be what Sir does with with Jerry. He he gets him to um, get Margot to look after all these people that come up, come over, all these clients, and it's just another um, example of Jerry being so quick to just be there for the boss and and to be a bit of an ass licker. Yeah, Margot um, presumably enjoys. Um, helping Jerry, Jerry climb this social ladder as well. Well, not social ladder, yes. but the, the corporate ladder. Um, mm. However, we soon find out, of course, that this is just the wrong, just a case of bad timing for Margot, isn't it? It's the wrong time. Margot has got, um, and it's been this has been hinted at for a few weeks now. She has got the opening night of, um, I forgot what it's called. Sound of music. Let me say this again. Yeah. So Margot has got. This weekend, the opening night of The Sound of Music, where she's playing Maria. Um, it's a big deal. Um, she's been practising for weeks. Um, and we see in the next scene, Barbara's running through lines with Margot. Um, which, to me, this was like the hint of, of what was to come. I, I found this scene quite funny. Um, mm. And I was chuckling along with with Margot's upset about the the kid with the runny nose and when she's trying to practice lines she's dropping nose and dew drops um into into 
the the lines mistakenly, and she's getting herself into a bit of a tiz. She is. She's in hysterics, isn't she? At one point, she I, is. I think Barbara suggests that she has a gin for, for Dutch courage. Yeah, a couple of gins, and you'll knock them dead. She says, Shit. "Gin, it's the answer to everything." Apparently, in this show, I nearly regretted saying Dutch courage. Then I didn't want to give you an. <laughs> So she's getting herself ready. Um, she's preparing for these lines. And then Jerry and Tom get back um, and just assume that, that the, the girls have been sat there having a good gossip, not realising just how intense um, Margot is 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 being and the the effort that she's putting into being Maria. Um, it's very important to her, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, that's why, why she's been manipulating um, Miss Mountshaft and the other members of the Music Society. This is her moment, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Tom shows off his, his haul of, um, of of stuff from golf that he's, that he's picked up, um, all his damsons and, and blackberries and, and bits and pieces. And then Jerry drops in that Sarah's asked if they can put up Mr. Van, Van Campen? Mr. Van Campen from, from Amsterdam. Isn't that the name um, of the bloody characters from The Sound of Music? Um... Van I don't Camp. think so. Is it not? Mind you, I've never seen don't, the fucking thing, so how would I know? I don't think Ignore so, me. no. Van Campen from Amsterdam. So he, he just sort of drops it in. Mr Van Campen will be stopping for the weekend and they need to look after him and put him up. Um, and Margot goes up like a chippy because Jerry's not even remembered that this is the big weekend of The Sound of Music. And even Tom's remembered. Um, yeah, and he says, he says to Jerry, "You're going to have to just just tell him, just tell him that you that you can't put the bloke up. It's simple, um, mm. but it's not that simple, is it, for Jerry? Because he's an ass licker. Yeah, but he does grow a pair quite quickly. He sort of says, yeah, yeah yes, that's he does. Right. He's worried about it, but he's going to do it. You know, when push comes to shove, he's putting Margot first. He is, and we get a bit of an, a, an insight here into how it works within their business because." Barbara says, well, Tom Tom wasn't a yes man when he worked there. Mm. And Jerry says, yeah, but he didn't make it up to the fourth floor. And that's pretty much why. If you're not an arse licker, you're not going to get up the higher echelons of this company. That's just the way it is. Yep. We've all known um, them. People like Jerry. People absolutely. talentless. I should be careful because ex-colleagues <laughs> might be listening to this podcast. But <laughs> we've all known talentless twats who just suck up to the boss. Yep. But then, like you say, Jerry does does grow a pair quite quickly. Um, and he says, you're perfectly right. I shouldn't have forgotten in the first place. I'll just have to tell Sir no. Mm. Uh, but you can tell that he's a bit panicked and then he excuses himself to go to the toilet because <laughs> the prospect of saying no gives him the shits. Literally. <laughs> we we move on to the next scene and we see Tom and Barbara. So they pull up outside with their, with their trolley full of, of wood. Um, to meet Jerry in the driveway, who's just come home from work, and he's been fired. He's been sacked by Sir. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? For not putting up the, the Dutchman. And I was led to believe that the 70s was uh, the time that all the unions had power, so wouldn't even... I mean, I suppose it wouldn't have been much of an episode if the, you just got the unions involved. Arthur <laughs> Gargill comes in or something. Sorts it out there. <laughs> but yeah... So that was, um, yeah, you could get away with um, doing what you wanted as a boss, I suppose, in 1976. Yeah. Yeah, snidey, considering how how loyal, I'm going to stop saying arse like now, uh, how loyal Jerry is to the company, because he really is, isn't he? He, he literally yeah. does everything that he's ever asked of him, apart from this one one instance. And yet, yeah, fired. Fired. Well, 
without getting too far ahead of ourselves, we do see in future episodes that there's a, a whole array of um, toadying sycophants. Um, I think one's called Snetterton. He's he's Eddie's... Uh, Eddie? Who the fuck is Eddie? <laughs> Eddie he is... Eddie. <laughs> That's you bringing... <laughs> Snetterton is Jerry's main sort of rival, isn't he? In later episodes. So clearly... It sounds, the... it sounds like a, a baddie name, that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think it's just clearly the way that you get ahead at um, Eddie Industries or whatever it's called. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> H and M. So this next scene um, was a real highlight for me. Um, this is the scene that that had me laughing initially, um, and we see Margot in her costume for playing Maria in The Sound of Music. So she's dressed up as a nun. Jerry's doing a makeup bizarrely. Um, yeah. He's busy drawing on her eyebrows and things. Um, and he's aware that, that Margot is on the edge. She really is on the edge at this stage. Anything, anything could happen. Um, she's bemoaning the fact that, um, the, uh, Miss, Miss Mountshaft has not bought in the, um, proper flowers that, that you would find on, on, on the Alps. Um, and these are plastic flowers that are in replacement of those, um, which Margot is hysterically shouting that the tat, 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 she says. She's very upset about it. The whole thing is tat, tat, tat. Because she's, at this stage, she is, like, on on top note. And Barbara and Tom turn up to, to, to wish her all the best, which is lovely. Um, but they also gather that um, Margot is in, a, is, in a, is in a dodgy place right now where anything could, anything could happen. Um, and Barbara tells Tom, whatever happens, you do not laugh. We go and watch this and you do not laugh. Yeah, she's warning him. She knows what he's like when he's silliness and also any opportunity to warn Margot up. And she's just preempting that by, she's probably going to blackmail him. There's going to be no sex for you tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, and then and then as, as Margot sets off to go onto the stage, um, Barbara and Tom just have a bit of a moment with, with Jerry, um, who's still not found another job. Um, they said, but you've got friends. Have you not got friends that can sort of help you out in the industry? And he says, no, I've got contacts. And we boost each other's egos with large gins. Um, but nobody's, nobody seems to, to be there to help Jerry out, which seems quite sad, really. It's quite a critique of... Um not just um, his industry, but I think just the rat race, isn't it? That yeah. you, en you end up with people you know, you don't necessarily even like them. You just play the game to get ahead. And that's what Jerry's been mm. doing. In a later scene, Jerry and Margot note that their only real friends are the goods. And it's really sad. Yeah, it is. Poor Jerry's 42 and he's already over the hill, it seems. That's how they're talking, isn't it? That, that this is pretty much the end for him, which which yeah. you think it would only just be starting. I tell you what, as well struck me, Margot before yeah. she, before she left mm. um, this scene, she refers um, to Jerry finding a, another situation. That's like language that sort of died out, isn't it? You don't hear people talking about because you used to, used to look for situations vacant, didn't you? Yeah. You don't really yeah. hear jobs described as situations anymore. I mean, it is an no. odd way of odd way of terming it, isn't it? A situation. Can it be is. Anything. It's a situation. Mm. We're in a situation now, recording this podcast, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not, it's a long time. Since I'm, yeah, and it's it's always sort of old, um, older TV shows that are set sort of 
last century, I suppose, where you, you'd, you'd hear that. Mm. I'm going to try and bring situation back. That's Do my, it. Yeah. Not that I've, got any, I've not got any jobs to advertise. But if I do, I'm going to make it situation. It's a situation. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jerry. And then we're back at home. It's all over and done with. Um, the Sound of Music has been on the stage and now they're back at the, the opening night party, back at the Leadbetters. And the, there were a couple of absolute moments of genius in in this scene for me. When Tom is describing what he's just witnessed... Um, the way that the way that he describes it for me, it it really really did tickle me. Um, and it was the pause after he said, "I mean," and then he just pauses because he doesn't really know how to put it into words. And that had me. I had to rewind it and watch it again because it really made me laugh so much. Yeah, I'll say it again. A few mistakes agreed, but all in all, you were really, really, you were <laughs> bloody awful. <laughs> He also asks, it was the it was the sound of music, wasn't it? Um, because <laughs> Margot had got to the stage where she'd got so confused that she sang Maria from West Side Story, which really tickled me. I wouldn't have noticed. I've not seen Sound of Music or West Side Story, so could have got away with it for me. Oh, just a, just a... I think it was the juxtaposition of, of, of those two things side by side that really tickled me. And I thought it was hilarious that she got so confused. They're busy tearing it apart before Margot comes back. And they're expecting Margot to sort of emerge into the front room with all the cast and the crew. Yeah. Um, but Margot's on her own when she turns up. But they still give her a standing ovation and clap. Um, but nobody's coming, apparently. No. Your heart breaks for her, doesn't it, at that point? And, it does. And she's so, it's really good writing, actually, because, you know, the, she's mm. a monster in many ways, Margot. But at this point, they write her response to the situation as being so pragmatic and um, yes. sort of abashed and ashamed at her own behaviour as well. Mm. Um, she's not overly emotional, considering right at the beginning, she was so sort of on top note and emotional about all this. Yeah. Now she just seems to be quite crestfallen and... Like you say, pragmatic about and it. And she's taken it in good humour as well. I mean, one of the recurring tropes is that she doesn't have a sense of humour. But, I mean, she does. She mm. just has a very acquired sense of humour, I suppose. But she's just taking... Yeah. She's taking the fact that they are honest and saying how bad it was in a stride. And I, mean, I guess it's that thing that, well, it's done now. What can I do? And it makes her... What can I do? And not only it? that, she sort of realises that she's... Um, She's taken her eye off what's important, which is Jerry's career, and she hasn't been supportive for Jerry. And it's a lovely little um, moment between the two of them, isn't it? Where they, you know, shines a very favourable light on this marriage that we often see as being quite full of conflict. Absolutely, yeah. You, the the arguments that are between them two usually are sort of set in um, the in the ridiculous. Um, where you're sort of thinking, where where's this come from? Where is this going? Yeah. But this is like a real a real moment where they're both on they're both on the same page and taking sort of responsibility for their own feelings and actions and the and the way that they they, they get on, I suppose. Which is which is uh, this is new. We've not seen this before. I think. No, exactly. And I think uh, Jerry is um, at this stage. He's just gutted he can't open the champagne because he's the only one who wants to have it. Yeah. <laughs> He's desperate, and everybody says no, and you can tell that he's he's a bit gutted. Yeah, and then they're, they're trying to cheer um, 
Jerry up, aren't they, by saying that all the best people at some point lose their jobs. And then, interestingly, Tom cites Ted Heath. Ah. And I thought to myself, that seems out of character for Tom. Maybe it was for Marco's benefit. Mm. But there you go. Maybe not. The famous um, paedophile Ted Heath. Yeah, I know. That killed the mood, didn't it? <laughs> I know, that, that's brought me right down now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so Margot, Margot heads off to bed, but then Tom decides to get on the phone to Sir. I thought he was a cheeky bastard at first because I thought he's just making a phone call once they've gone to bed. Who's he ringing? Then I realised who he's ringing yeah. and I'll let him off. Just prank calls, he's just prank calling. Yeah, his phone in Australia. shaft. <laughs> uh, but he's ringing Sir to try and help Jerry to get his job back. Um, which is very kind and very thoughtful. We then see Sir turn up at Tom and Barbara's and he's offered the peapod wine, which I'm guessing is um, just a, a, a potential way to get him to sort of be on the same page as Tom and Barbara, getting pissed and mm. then ask him all the questions. It won't take much with that um, drink, will it? Just a couple of sniffs. You can tell, yeah. He didn't, he didn't have as good a response as Mr. Coles, the, um, the reporter. No. I noticed. No. His, his comic his comic timing and acting wasn't on the same level as as Mr. Cole's. <laughs> um, but Sir keeps calling um, Tom Tim, which just just fucking pisses me off because you, you've golfed with the guy this morning. Yeah, what you? Yeah. I don't. I, people, I think people like that do it deliberately. <sighs> yeah. So they 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 have a chat about how great a guy Jerry is, um, and he's they're, they're sort of pulling out all the big guns to try and convince Sir. Uh, uh, that he needs Jerry back. Um, Tom even offers to do all the um, freelance work that the guys in the office can't do. Mm. And Sir's already made his mind up, though, that he's pretty much going to let Jerry come back. Yeah, he's a shithouse, isn't he? He's just gone round there, wine yeah. him up, drink their free wine. And yet, having decided he can come back, he's still basically saying that he won't let him back until he gets a grovelling apology, even though he's done nothing wrong. Yes. Yep. Um, but he wants, um, Sir wants Tom and Barbara to tell Jerry the news because he doesn't want to do it as well. Yeah. Is this is this a scene where there's mention of Jerry's annual salary? Yes. Yeah, because he says, um, so what So what does Jerry get for crawling back? Yeah. And Sir says he gets 18 grand a year, an expenses account and a company car. Well, I uh, took the liberty of finding a website that gives you the equivalent rate for inflation okay uh it's almost a quiz within the within the episode walkthrough what do you think Eighteen thousand. what's it equivalent oh. to today 1976 45 years ago more or less oh my god um god do you know i, I really don't know well i really um, i'll tell you it's um is it is it three figures or is it yeah is it a three figure salary? Three figures. It's one hundred and sixteen thousand pounds a year. Is it? Is it really? It's the equivalent. Blimey. So no wonder Jerry is willing to, um, you know, cow down and lick Sir's boots yeah. to get his get his job back. Yeah, that's understandable. Margot falls on a sword and says, "Well, I've cut the cleaner down to three days a week now instead of five. <laughs> And she thinks that's a really helpful contribution to the problem. Can you imagine how grim it could have got for Margot if um, Sir hadn't given Jerry his job back? She'd have been, she'd have had to find a whole new way of living, wouldn't she? It would be, yeah, for her, it would be the biggest difference, I think. Yeah, definitely. 
no ward no wardrobe anymore no going out for for clothes um no shopping at Harrods no, should be at not. Furman's freezers <laughs> is that Red Oldsworth's place every every everything tinned oh it would be depressing for 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 poor old Margot and then we see Tom and Barbara turn up um to tell Jerry the good news that he's actually got his job back and Jerry does something really weird is this when he combs his hair when he's top <laughs> He combs his hair <laughs> to ring Sir up. Yeah, I noticed that. Which I wondered what. Oh. And I suppose it's in preparation for, for sort of being back in that that frame of mind, I suppose. It combed through um, ridiculously easily, though, for hair that looks like a Brillo pad. Yeah, true. I thought, I thought yeah, it, it, I, I, I did focus quite a lot on, on the hair and it seemed to, yeah, it, it seemed to comb a lot, a lot easier than I anticipated it would now, do. Now, I'm assuming, anyway, I'm assuming that your old man had hair in the 70s. Yeah, but it was, it wasn't Jerry hair though. Now, my old man also is as bald as a coot now, but he had um, hair in the 70s mm. and he'd always, he'd always be with a comb and fellas yeah. always seem to have a comb. And I'm not entirely sure that these days, I don't know, I'm not the most metrosexual of people, but I've always used a brush. I've got thick hair. And I think brush was seen as the mm. domain of women. Ah, oh, right, okay. I think in the 70s, if I'd had a brush, in fact, even now, thinking back, even in my 20s, I'd take a hairbrush to work with me, right? But I wouldn't let it be seen. And sometimes I'd brush my hair at work and I'd do it under the desk so people couldn't see. You'd hide away with your brush. Yeah, because I think you'd be judged and a man should have a comb. Is that just in my head that that was that what the expectation was? When I think back to when my mum used to talk about my dad sort of in the 60s and 70s, it was always a comb because um, he was like obsessed yeah. with, with making sure that it all looked as it was supposed to do. So yeah, maybe it's just... But yeah, the brush thing, I think the brush is like, I suppose it was the domain of... Of ladies, I suppose. I remember getting out of the shower, uh, getting out of the bath or the shower as a child when on those few occasions my dad bathed me when I was very young and he'd mm. be tr- like dragging this comb through my scalp. You know, I had really thick hair. Combs just aren't yeah. practical for people with thick hair, are they? No, they're not. You need a brush. Yeah. Wise up, fellas. It's okay. Embrace the brush. Embrace the brush. <laughs> <laughs> on the phone to Sir... Um, oh, Margot and Jerry have got have got their game face on big time now. They are they've got all, they're pulling out all the big guns, um, offering tea. Come round for come round for dinner. We'll have you round soon. You and Felicity. Um, and Sir says, "Yep, we'll be round." And we've got a whole a whole host of Japanese businessmen to bring with us. Um, and the the scene ends, and the episode ends with Margot. Suggesting that she's always wanted to cook seaweed, so that's all right. The the the, the, the Japanese businessmen can come round as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd like to know what she'd make. What's she going to make with the seaweed? No, I'm not culinary enough to suggest something off the top of my head here. Hmm. <laughs> I eat seaweed crackers with my hummus. That makes me sound very middle class, doesn't it? I like I like I like crunchy seaweed from um, yeah from a from Chinese or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what Margot would do with it, but um, I imagine she would give it a very um, pretentious name, though. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be French, despite being the Japanese dish, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Mm. Loads of fashion in this episode, I thought, Al, so I'm intrigued to know what you're going to um, focus on in Fashion Corner. Let's have a trip over there. Fashion, fashion corner, corner, Fashion Corner, Fashion Corner, Fashion Corner. corner. 
So, first of all, in Fashion Corner this week, um, I wanted to mention Margot's um, orange flowery dress that she has on um, earlier on in the episode. It's like a geometric print top with orange and yellow and brown sort of rectangles. It's like a long, um, silky maxi dress. Um, which she, she, she tends to go for. That seems to be um, Margot's style. And it's obviously a, a very sort of 70s style as well. Um, but she just looks amazing in it. She looked amazing. And the print was was beautiful. Very sort of like poochy looking um, design to it. Um, the Burberry slacks of Jerry's, his football hooligan pants, m- made a re-emergence in this episode as well. Um Along with a couple oi of Jerry, oi. Oi, oi. Jerry ties. There was a couple of ties um, that I've seen. I've seen reemerge now a couple of times, which which you would do because the the, the work ties. You, you don't tend to wear a different tie every day for work. Um, but he's got a couple of, of like geometric prints. One with like swirly circles on it in really really beautiful colours. Um, special mention this episode was to Margot's um, Maria costume. Um, the, right. the see-through nun outfit, <laughs> which we don't see it being see-through, but it is hinted that once she was on the stage and the lights hit her, it was see-through. Um, but I think I think she just looked amazing when she was when she was a nun. She just looked fab. She gave good nun. She did indeed. Um, there's also when she comes back from. Um, the sound of music when she's come back come back for her party the first night party um, she's in like a peach number this is Margot um, with some kind of animal stole around her shoulders I'm guessing it's like a like a mink or a fox um, hashtag different times but mm-hmm. um, of, of that time it, it does it does fit and um, she just looks stunning doesn't she she's, she's beautiful yeah have you got any 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 fashion any fashion mentions Ben well, Tom um, actually looked quite smart in his um, in his suit that he went to the um, went to the show in. He had his he had a kerchief in his jacket, yeah. didn't he? Mm. He was kerchiefing it up, kerchiefing it to the max, and also Barbara in her uh, dungarees early on. Yeah, yeah, it's quite same dungarees. And Barbara also had a, a last posh frock on again. Yeah, is that like the one that she wore? Is that the same one that she wore when she, when they went out for the meal? Yeah, um, she's worn it in three or four different episodes. Like, yeah, few episodes, few television shows from the seventies, which is really good for continuity. That is her last posh frock. So whenever there's an occasion that requires her to dress up, she wears it, despite the fact it looks like an eider down. It does, doesn't it? It's too big for her, and it's very, very billowy. It is, yeah, yeah. But she couldn't well, wear a bin bag, Felicity Kendall, and still look beautiful. So we'll forgive her. No spoilers, really, but I think we know that she's going to get another posh frock at some point in the in the very near future isn't she yes good to see tom um but yeah nothing else for me did you identify a most valuable player in this episode or can i guess who your most valuable player is going to be go on guess because i suspect it's going to be margot right? it is margot yeah it's yeah. margot for um being so passionate about Everything that she does, regardless of what you what you believe and what you think about Margot and her opinions, she's massively passionate about things that she cares about. She only wanted yeah. to do the best, the best Maria that she could do. She wanted to be the best Maria ever. Um, but like you said before, she's quite pragmatic about the realisation of it didn't go well. 
and seeing that side of her in this episode I thought was um it was nice to see and and interesting to watch um and she had a, she had a, a good few comic um lines as well in this episode that I thought were were fab yeah especially with that when that boy comes in and she calls him a ghastly child <laughs> poor kid What about you, Ben? No, same. But Margot for me as well. Mm. Um, the portrayal of Margot by Penelope Keith is is obviously fantastic, and we, mm. we say that a lot. But the writing as well is superb because some of this woman's opinions are so awful, and some of her actions are equally pretty atrocious. Mm. But they never they never push her too far, and they always make her redeemable and bring her back. Yeah, um, as showing what a good moral compass she has at the end of the day. And I agree. they did that superbly in this episode, showing that she realised um, what was important and it wasn't just some, you know, um, local theatre production that she was involved in. It was her husband's career and happiness. Yeah. And she's just she's just so good in, in that role. So for me, Margot, definitely. I agree. Did you feel in this episode that the comic writing had just stepped up a little bit. I think it does throughout the second series. I mean, mm. this is fifth episode, isn't it? I think we've had some pretty good ones. I think we're yeah. at, almost at the nexus point of the writing in a good life. I think it's mm. really this uh, this series and early in the third series. And I mean, they're all good, but it's this is the optimum point. I think optimum yeah. point. Yeah. So next week, Ben, we are on to series two, episode six. Do you know what we're called? Um, I didn't until 30 seconds ago when, you realized, okay. when we both realised that we didn't know. So we had a little pause to look it up. But now I know. It is Home Sweet Home. Um, Tom decides he might be ready to leave Surbiton after learning of an idyllic rural farm. Ooh. When, when Barbara is hesitant, Margot could be swayed by the idea. Margot? I'm not entirely sure what that means. I do remember that Tom is a complete cretin in this episode and he's not into- at all taking Barbara's feelings into account, which okay. is part of the course, of course. Of course it part is, of yeah. Course, of course, of course. Yeah. So um, join us next week and we'll um, we'll pick the bones out of that bastard for you. Excellent. If you want to get in touch and you want to join us, catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Saddle Podcast. You can search Facebook for Saddle Podcast. We have a website, www.saddle.club. Um, email us at saddlepodcast at gmail.com and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and um, we'll see you next week. We shall see you next week. I'll see you.